It's always fun to see how a pair of siblings split their genius. We see it all the time. Like there's high profile cases like Solange Beyonce, Venus and Serena. And we see it in just everyday life. Think of those two sisters back in high school who were great at sports, but also got full rides to college somewhere. And they were just great people, right? It happens. And I find it so fascinating. So when I met powerhouse woman Charlie Jeter, the sister of baseball legend Derek Jeter, I instantly noticed she carries that same special energy that her brother has, just in a different way. By the way, we all have special energy. We're all special, don't get me wrong, but some of us do soar to heights that reach global status like Derek. He's certainly one of those people. But I want this episode to show you your greatness can also be behind the scenes like Charlie, but still create a legacy that outlives generations. This is Audacity with Letitia Barriola, a podcast about how to be fearless with your life and career. If you want to start or grow a business, expand your brand, be known, create something new, or just be courageous with your life, this podcast is for you. Hello, everyone. Hello to my new listeners. Ooh, I see you guys listening to my older episodes, and it is making me so happy. I have new subscribers. Um, coming in from the viral <laughs> Valicia interview still, every day I wake up and I look at these numbers and I'm like, wow, it's really happening. So welcome. We've been waiting for you to my tribe. Hey, my girls, thank you for being on this adventure with me from the beginning. Hasn't this been fun? Like, come on. Well, over in my household, you know, we're gearing up for second grade for my son, Miles. Ah! That means summer's kind of over. Back to fall behavior, bittersweet, but um, you know, kids are growing up. I'm also really busy ramping up my podcast business with my new client, The Fearless Fund, the first venture capital fund founded by black women for all women of color. More on that soon. I'm helping them with a huge media project and it's like, it's like what dreams are made of for me. Uh, of course, I'll tell more when I can. And I've, I'm helping individuals too, entrepreneurs, professional women who want to uh, get their ideas out, start talking to an audience about um, what they have in their heart, the vision they have for their life. So I'm working with one-to-one -one clients as well. And hey, if you want to learn about my services and my podcast development and production agency, check out my show notes. I put a link in there to get on my calendar. We can chat. All right. This episode features a convo with the powerhouse Charlie Jeter. Uh, she is the president of the Turn To Foundation, a nonprofit established by her brother, baseball legend Derek Jeter. And this organization really helps young people really just reach their full potential in every way by creating a lot of supportive initiatives from, you know, leadership development, academic achievement, positive, healthy lifestyles, and so on. She is also about that business. She is the vice president of strategy and development for Jeter Ventures. Um, so that's basically Derek's full portfolio of business operations. So those commercials you see him in and everything else he's doing on the business side, yes, Charlie is a part of making that happen. She is also the co-author of a really powerful book. 
It was released back in 2018, but y'all, when she starts talking about what's in this book, it's called The Stuff that she co-authored with Dr. Samson Davis. It's like, oh, this this is where that inner champion is. It came from this. The book is about unlocking your power to overcome challenges, soar, and succeed. And it was inspired by both of the authors, their own personal challenges, um, and I love this convo because Charlie is someone who, you know, she's very confident with who she is. She's very confident in what she's capable of doing, even as the only woman in the room, sometimes making decisions for, uh, you know, as the president of her superstar brothers organization and business dealings, um, she's had to overcome bias and um, about how she's gotten her position, right? Oh, you're just his, her, his sister, you know? Like, it is what it's. No, no, no. She's quick to set you straight on that. Um, and some things that, you know, sometimes they go over her head or try to go over her head. Nope, they go right in. They're turned right back to her. Um, so she's had to learn to hold her ground and really um, be strong in her identity and what she brings to the table. But... I think what will stay with me the most in this conversation is her story about being diagnosed with cancer as a college student a couple days before her 21st birthday. So she's a survivor. Um, But her story of overcoming such a terrible diagnosis at such a young age, it's really, truly incredible. She has a heart of a champion, y'all, and it, it, it really shows itself in her story. I mean, are we surprised, right? No, we're not. So be sure to listen all the way to the end because we really get into it in the last portion of our conversation. So get to know her, stay for the end. It's my favorite part of the convo. This is Audacity with Charlie Jeter. Did you ever imagine that this would be sort of the career path that you would have? No, I didn't um, because this was something that Derek decided he wanted to do his rookie year. So in 96, so I was graduating, um, going to soon to be graduating high school at the time. So no, I thought my career path, you know, I wanted to, I started out wanting to be a pediatrician and working with kids. Um, and then I realized how long you have to go to school for that. So, um, and then I had thought maybe I wanted to go into some type of like business management. When I went into college, I decided, you know, maybe I want to do something in business management, but I still wasn't really sure. I mean, my dad's a social worker. I started at Spelman College um, as a sociology major. And after my freshman year, I was like, this is not for me. It's too much reading and writing. Um, and it was too much. I I liked, I then became a math major because I knew that if I had a math, you know, if I majored in math, no matter what I decided to do, that would be a good, like, it would be a conversation starter to be like a math major. Who's a math major? But I knew I could go into business with that. Um, I, you know, I could do a host of things with that, but no, this was not the path. But I think that growing up, we were raised in a household that was very much focused on giving back and doing things for the community and helping others and always being a role model. Um, when we walked into a room, be somebody worthy of emulation. And I think that there's a lot of ties there between what we do now with the work of the foundation and how we were raised. For sure. And I also see the tie between like pediatrician and business, math. It's actually what you're doing is a really beautiful come up like uh, 
just a sum of all the different roles that you saw yourself doing. And it just happens to be within this organization. Isn't it crazy how that works sometimes? Yes, because I do think a lot about like if I worked in another position or I had another job, like I thrive in a place that there's not, I don't like to say chaos. I I thrive in a place where there's a lot of different things going on and like where my brain can be on the phone talking about how to deal with uh, a curriculum for one of our programs and then for our, for our young people, but then also I'm event planning for something different, or I'm on the phone with a sponsor trying to work out a relationship for the next year. So there's so many different things that I do, you know, on a daily basis that it just keeps my brain stimulated and very difficult to organize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like you were made for it. When I think, well, I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. And when I think about, you know, of course with Derek, and um, just being his sister and this idea of identity and having your own dreams and having your own goals and having your own sort of contribution. How have you navigated doing that as Derek's sister? I mean, I think it's changed over the years. It was definitely a growing process. I mean, he signed with the Yankees when I was in seventh grade. Um, so I was very young and I think coming from a small town and also going to the same high school that he went to, I dealt with a lot of things, having some of the same teachers as him, um, knowing a lot of the same administrators at our school, um, and just the community, you know, knowing that he had signed with the Yankees and, um, being very much so compared to him, whether it was me playing softball, how I played softball, um, cause I loved softball, um, growing up. And it was a huge, just as huge of a part of my life as baseball was in his life. Um, But I was compared in everything I did when it came to that. But also in the classroom, you know, I would have teachers that had him and he did very, very well in school. And I did good too, but he was like a brainiac in school. Um, So I would get compared in in that as well. Um, But I mean, so it was tougher, I think, when I was younger. Um, And then going off to college, I mean, I think I went to a school where there were a lot of people that had parents or family members who did um, different things or people that were in my class that were on TV or did different things. So, um, you know, but at the time, Derek was at the peak of his career. I mean, they were winning the World Series and everything else. So I think it was just trying to navigate like who your real friends are and who who's around you um, for the right reasons and who's using you and different things like that um, was a growing experience for me through high school, through college, um, and then even the first few years out of college. Um, but now, I mean, I think that you end up trying to focus on what are your strengths and what do you add to the table and what are the things that you can do? Because there's many of things that I can do better than Derek. And so focusing on those. (laughs) Tell us, because we know what he's great at. I mean, how much time do you have? Um, I think like, you know, there are things that, you know, Derek can do better than me. Um, I do believe that Um, God knew what he was doing when he put Derek in the position that he's in and not me in our family, just because I don't think I would have handled certain things as great as he handled them. Um, but on the flip side, I think when it comes down to certain business things and, um, you know, things with our foundation and running them and keeping them organized and managing a team, I, I think that 
you know, I feel like that's where I thrive. And I thrive in a position of supporting a lot of the things that he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy being in that position. So, I mean, I think you learn, you know, after now I've been doing this for so many years that you learn what your strengths are and you also learn what value you bring. But I think I also come from a family and parents who very much so valued what I did just as much as what Derek did. And I think that was very helpful. So I give all that credit to my parents. And also I have a brother who valued what I did as much as I valued what he did. So it was never a position where I felt within my home growing up or within my family that um, I was any less valuable. Mm -hmm. Man, kudos to your parents and your brother, but really your parents too, having children, um, having to navigate that as parents and making sure that you felt seen and valued. I wonder if you could give some advice to people, you know, who may not have that support where they do feel Mm -hmm. like they're, you know, outshined or they don't get as much as attention or they're always trying to fight for a first place or however you want to put it. You know, what are some advice when you say like really knowing your strengths and that really helped you? How can someone find their own strengths without someone telling them or pointing it out to them or supporting them when they feel like they're kind of all alone in this? Well, I mean, I I talk a lot about this, just like I felt like I had kind of this shadow, um, like I was always living in Derek's shadow when I was growing up. Um, and even in instances now, like you're just, you're kind of behind the scenes. And I think that it can be a tough place to be in because there are certain things that you want to shine in and certain things that you want to be noticed for. Um, And I think that you have to take the time to realize like, who is it, who, who is important in your life for you to be seen by, if that makes sense. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when I focused on everybody seeing what I do and everybody knowing what I do, and I did that, like I did focus on that you know, you're never going to, you're never going to be happy. You're just going to be searching for this thing that's really not going to exist unless you're maybe in a position like Derek. Um, And for me, I'm, I had to realize too, that is that really what I would would have wanted? Like what I have wanted where every time I go out to dinner, people are staring at me and taking my picture. Would I have wanted to always be in the press every day and have a story made up about me? No. So I'm actually very grateful that that's not my life. And I think we have to be careful what we wish for. And we also have to take a second to realize like, who do we really want to be seen by um, and focus on that? Because being seen by a ton of people that don't care about us. Um, I think it's just mostly important that the people that we we care about and we surround ourselves with see us. That is so good. And I'm gonna use an example that may not be as big as yours, but when I think about social media and like the transition I have made as I have gotten busier in my career, more purposeful in my career, really intentional, I have found social media. And I'm finding this with a lot of women um, who are at a level where they're running organizations or businesses, like they're not sweating social media, right? They're not sweating updating people on all their moves and what they're doing and all of that because they are busy doing the work. And yeah, they leverage what, you know, there's a relationship there because there's um, perks to social media and all of that. But like there are two different 
people, right? There are people who are heavy, heavy, heavy on showing you all their things, all their stuff, all their accomplishments, what they're up to, whatever. And there's other people who are really busy and literally don't have the capacity to be showing up all the time on social. And I found that for me, that trans, I had that transition where I'm like, well, who, who, who do I really care about seeing me and what I'm doing and every day, the good, the bad, the ups, who do I really care about seeing that? And so I've slowly kind of pulled away from it. I'm figuring out a system to where I don't have to be so attached, but that's, that's how I can relate. Does that sound I mean, I looked at your social, you're, you're on that side where it's like, I'll update you when I have time. You're going to get an update when I'm done with something. <laughs> I'm very much like that. And I think that's also because I do also recognize that I have, you know, a family that has been in the public eye. And I think that we've chosen as a family um, to try to keep certain things private. So I have to also think about that, but also too, what comes with being so public all the time is opening the door to everyone's feedback. And really everyone's feedback does not, is not what I'm basing my day-to-day life on. Um, And I really just don't want to open the door to that. I know it is already opened with my social, but, um, but I also, you know, you were saying like, there's people that do it a ton and they show you everything, but are they really showing us everything, right? Like I only see the good. And for me, I love social media when you can go onto someone's page that's actually being real about their experience. Like I learn more from people on what they messed up on or what they did wrong and how they got through it. Like that's what I like to hear about and learn about and knowing that they're human, like to see people social where all you're seeing is this shiny glitz and glamour and everything's perfect. And you're only seeing the accomplishments. Anybody who has a brain knows that that is not truly that person's life, right? We may aspire to have that, but it's not even possible. Mm -hmm. So I feel like if you're going to go on social media and really share your experience working or your experience in your day-to-day life, then really show us your experience in day-to-day life mm-hmm. or don't give us so much mm-hmm. because it's not a realistic picture. And I think that that's what I try to teach the young people that we work with is like social media is a blessing and it's a curse and it depends on how you decide to use it and what you decide to put out there, but also what is it that you want to consume? right? Like realizing that the stuff that you're consuming, like be realistic with it. Like this is really not a true depiction of someone's life. It's really not. I'm so glad you're talking to these kids about that because I, you know, I have a seven-year-old, three-year-old, and I just wonder when they get to that age, you know, they can have a phone and all of that. I'm like, what is the world going to be like for them? And I know you have a son too, a young son. It's like, how are we going to prepare for what this internet world is doing. So thank you for doing some of that work for these kids that you guys. I also, I also bring up too, like, and a lot of my kids don't believe this in our program, but I'm I, like, this is the truth. I spend a lot of time before I push send on a post or like upload for a post. Like I go through this whole process of like, if this came up in 10 years, like, would I be like totally embarrassed or shocked by it. Would this affect my son negatively Mm -hmm. if I post this? What would my parents think 
if I post this? What would my brother think if I post this? Like, and what would the people, my friends and the people that I care about? And also how would it affect my job? So, and, and then now even more so I think about like, if one of my Jeter's leaders or high school students was to look at this post, like, would I be proud of that? And would I be okay with that? And so I go through this whole process and there's plenty of things I've been like, no, you know what, maybe, maybe I shouldn't put that up there. Um, I don't think it's bad, but then, you know, maybe I won't agree with this in a week or so, and maybe I'm just angry. <laughs> so I'm not going to put that to the world. So I just think there should be a process of, posting and people to think a little bit more before they share things. Um, but you know, it's a different world now. It sure is. And I'm so glad you just, um, gave us an example. You just did. I don't think you even realized it when you said that it's all about like, who do I want to show up? Who do I want to see me? You know, like who really matters to me? Um, when it comes to what I'm doing and my updates and you just named the, the people that are most important to you, your your, the, the kids in the organization, your brother, your, you know, and it's like, you're thinking about them first and then you post, like that's your filter. So it's like, that's really cool that that's really how you think, that's how you move. Um, so I wanna talk about being the only woman in the room or being the woman who's making the decisions um, on behalf of a major organization. We talked a lot about this at She's Got Time. I thought it was a great conversation. Um, how has that experience been for you? Um, we're talking about Major League Baseball. We're talking about all the business ventures with Derek. This is a mostly male-dominated field. And here you are behind the scenes running a big portion of your brother's sort of enterprise, right? So how has that journey been for you as a woman in these rooms? Well, I mean, I think I've experienced the same thing that almost all women experience um, in in the boardroom or in the workforce. Um, I think my mentality going into it was a little bit different just because I grew up in a household where it was equal. Like, you know, you can do anything that the boys can do, Charlie. You know, you can go out there and you can you can beat the boys and and you know, baseball or basketball or whatever you want to do and you put the work in, you can play just as well and you can be just as smart. And that was something I saw. My mom worked in the corporate world when I was growing up. And there were times when my dad picked us up off the school bus, like our, the roles in our house were very different um, at times. So, I mean, we had, you know, when I started working, that doesn't mean that there wasn't difficult times, but when I started working, it, took some time for me to realize, but I did realize it was that, you know, I've been put in this position. There's only one me that's been put in this position to work with Derek on certain projects and run his foundation. And once I was able to say that this is the position that I'm in, I had to walk into a room and you don't have to speak to me. You don't have to look me in the eye. And really, you know, you can think that you're going to go around me, but at the end of the day, you're going to end up coming back to me and you're going to have to speak to me and I'm probably going to make the decision. Um, and it doesn't matter who in my family, my father, my brother that you decide to go to, you're just going to be taking a longer process to get your answer. So if that's what you want to do, you feel free to go and do it. But eventually you're going to end up coming back to me and having to talk to me. Um, and luckily I've been in a work environment where the structure is if we are in a meeting and I am there, 
with my brother or with my father, which has happened often, and people start talking directly to them on something that I make the decision on, they have always stopped and turned and looked at me and said, well, you're going to have to speak with her on that. So I will say that I have a very respectful, um, uh, almost a perfect situation in that they respect my position enough to allow me to do my job and force others to respect me in my job. But I also know that that's not the reality for a lot of women in the workforce. Um, so I'm very fortunate in that. But there's a lot of situations that come up where it, it, they aren't in the room and, you know, you have to navigate things and you have to take disrespect sometimes, like blatant disrespect, and you have to deal with it. And um, you have to address it and you have to um, kind of go cry in the car and then come back, you know, and wipe, <laughs> wipe your makeup off and, and say, you know, yeah, that was a tough one. But you know what? I'm back and I'm going to deal with this and I'm going to roll up my sleeves. And I know that this person maybe does not have the respect he's supposed to have when dealing with me, but I'm going to force him to respect me and I'm going to um, get through this and I'm going to show that this is why I'm here and that I can do my job and, and get through it. Just knowing that this is going to happen and, you know, not a lot of times I think we hear that it's like, Oh, it's, you know, I'm just so tough and I go into the room and I just deal with it. No, it hurts your feelings. And let's be real here. It's hurtful. And, um, it can be very difficult at times when you think about what just happened or how someone spoke to you or the fact that they won't speak to you at all or they won't respect your position at all. That is hurtful and it's hard to get through. But just knowing who is your team that you're going to go and lean on and be able to talk to these things about and know that you're going to get good advice from on how to deal with situations has helped me. Well, the viewers can't or the listeners can't see me, but I'm over here like, what? Like, well, am I reacting to my imagination, you know, like seeing your world from someone who's just like not, not even acknowledging you or disrespecting you. And I was thinking to myself, man, she's got to have a cool, you got to be kind of like, let, you got to be nice and cool. You, you can't have a hothead because my initial reaction is kind of like, you know, get catching an attitude like, hello, like, no, I'm the one you need to talk to. So you really have to have this professionalism and hold it together, but also have these boundaries have you figured out a way to like keep a cool head when someone's really pushing you or have you had to, had to, had to put some people in line every now and then? I think that's a daily challenge. And if my brother was here right now, he would be cracking up at the fact that like you said, you know, you, you have to have a level head. That's really bad. So I have a very short fuse and I am somebody who can, you can read everything in my face. Um, you, you can tell exactly what I'm thinking by my facial expressions. I always say I can't, con I, but I can't control the muscles in my face. Um, but one thing, so I'm someone who would react and you could tell when I was very upset, but it's something that I had to grow with because, you know, I have to deal with a lot of times and I've dealt with it for years is the only reason she's in that position is because she's his sister. And then I have to educate people and say, well, actually, it took me a little bit longer to get in this position than any other employee in our organization or, you know, any other employee in any other organization because of the fact that I came from a family was that was like, you're going to earn it, you are going to work hard for it, and you are going to learn it. And I had started out as an intern, and I sat in every single position in our organization, and I still am requesting to do things that I'm waiting to have the opportunity to do. So 
um, you know, it, I've dealt with a lot of people who are just like, oh, she's here. She really doesn't understand it. You know, she's probably just here because of, you know, who she is and she's his younger sister. I'm like, well, you definitely don't know my brother because he's not letting anybody deal with anything he's doing if they're not educated and don't mm-hmm. understand what they're supposed to be doing. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. I've had to learn how to control emotions. I still have times where they, you know, they, you know, like I make a face or somebody knows that I'm upset about something. Um, Um, But yeah, I've had to see a lot of things. I've had people talk slower to me, like as if, you know, let me explain this to you. Um, And to me, it's just at this point, I'm, I'm laughing. You know, I have to laugh about it inside because it's like, actually, no, I could probably educate you about your job at this point. Doing this long enough. You just have to, you know, you get through it and you deal with it and you have to laugh at things and again, go back to your team and have conversations. Yeah. Then you have the real conversation behind the scenes, right? You have your cry, you have your, whatever you're going to do, vent chest. Um, but thank you for sharing that because that's, that's real. Like that's real. Um, even the fact that you had to grow into, I guess, a little bit more, not polished, but like learning how to hold the line boundaries without like cussing people out, you know, or not showing them that you really upset, they really upset you. That is. Yeah. And you also have to get to that point where you realize that the way that people treat you in a room is more about them and less about you. And I think once I realized that I, it was easier to deal with right? Like at first it was like, oh my gosh, like they think I don't understand or they think this, or they think this about me. And I I had internalized everything. And I think you get to a point where it's like, wait a minute, how they just acted is more telling you more about who they are as an individual and more about them than really has anything to do with you. Mm. And, um, I think I got to that point. It was like, oh, okay. So now, you know, and also I'm working with someone, I'm fortunate to work with someone who people are asking to work with. Um, and so we can pick and choose, like we run an operation where, you know, like we can choose what we want to do. Right. And when I, when I realized that, wait, we're in that space, like, so we can actually pick and choose what products he wants to deal with or things he wants to represent or who he wants to partner with. And we're going to do that based on the people that are running it like, and who we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis gives a little bit of more, a little bit more freedom and flexibility um, when sitting in the room. Yeah. I just heard we hold the power. Like you're coming to us. It's almost like, you know, you say like, you call me when people are like, who is this? No, you call me, who is this? (laughs) That's what I feel like you kind of said. And um, it's a good reminder too, in that, that little nugget around like you could have a great company, a great offer, but if you are, if you have a bad attitude or if you disrespect someone within that organization, or if you just don't show up with, with some kindness and some respect, your offer or whatever you stand for, could just be, they would go to, they'll easily go to the next just based off of how your energy is when you're making these calls or making your presentation. Right. Um, Okay, now I want to land final. The final segment is around your book. And we spent a little time talking about this. And I've been thinking about it since you said this, you know, at, at, uh, oh, two days before your 21st birthday being diagnosed with cancer in college. 
Um, and from that experience, you co-authored a book, The Stuff, where you um, talk about how to triumph over challenges. And it's sort of like a case study, right, on the medical side and also on your side and interviewing people around how they overcame major, major obstacles. And so can you take us back to really in your 20s when you were diagnosed, what was that like and the journey from there to co-authoring a book about how to overcome challenges? Yeah, I mean, finding out that news is like really shocking, especially when I believe at the time I was just even too young to even process what that meant. You know, I was still in college. I was at Spelman in Atlanta and I was, this is when everybody's thinking about we're about to graduate and walk across the stage and everything is fun and we're just closing things out. And so that was never in my mind that I would just have this thing happen that's going to shut everything down for me. And I remember sitting in the doctor's office with my parents and, and the doctor coming in and my parents have already in their minds, they're in, Jer- they lived in Jersey at the, at the time. And I was down in Atlanta and the doctor that I was going to was at Sloan Kettering in New York city. So I remember um, them saying, okay, you know, we're going to transform the basement. My mom was going to transform the entire downstairs of her house to make it a mini apartment so that I had my privacy. And this is where I would stay for my six months of treatment. And I remember just saying, you know, like, this isn't where I saw my life being is moving back home. Like I had spent all this time getting ready to leave the nest. And now I, at a time where I'm supposed to be going off and thinking about where am I going to work and getting another apartment and all these things and starting my life, I never saw myself living back at my parents' house. And um, the doctor came in and said, you know, I think we should let her decide what she can do. Like if she's going to be, there are certain things she's going to have to do. She's going to have to take care of herself. She's not going to be able to be out partying and out all hours of the night, but I don't think we should dictate to her what she should be capable of doing. And if she wants to stay in school while she's going through treatment, as long as she's smart about it and takes care of herself and is healthy and takes her medications and doesn't try to push it too much and is honest about how she's doing, I I think we shouldn't tell her she can't go back to school. So, you know, I feel now I feel so bad as a parent, I feel terrible what I put my parents through because they were so worried about this, but it allowed me to go back to school Um, And every other Thursday, I would take a flight to Newark and wake up Friday morning at my parents' house, go into the city, do treatment. And then Saturday morning, I would fly back to Atlanta. And I did this for six months. And, um, and I mean, I'm very, very fortunate that my parents allowed allowed me to do that and um, supported me doing that, obviously. But um, I did it and I did it for six months and it was not easy. It was something that was very difficult because I got sicker and sicker as I went through treatments and it was very difficult um, to get. Now that I look back on it, I'm like, oh, if this happened to me now, I would be like sucking my thumb in the corner of my mom's house and letting her take care of me back then. It was something I needed to do. I thought it was just because I did not want to go back home. Um, whereas, you know, now that I look back at it and after going through this journey of going through this book, it was like, no, you actually did something and had something within you that made you strong enough to feel like you could overcome this and you were not going to allow it to derail your life and to stop everything 
for you. And so I did. I, I continued to go through school. I still had to do another semester post-graduation, um, you know, because I wasn't able to take on a full course load. But it was the best grades I had in college. Um, <laughs> I did great. I did my final exams. Um, uh, I did really well. It was not easy. But um, yeah, so this journey, I mean, years, many years later, I met Dr. Samson Davis, who's my co-author. And um, he was talking to me on a flight that we had. He had just spoken to a group of kids at our baseball clinic in Tampa. And we were flying back on the plane. He's like, I have this great idea. And he always has these great ideas. Um, he's written best-selling books before about his life and overcoming um, certain obstacles. And he says, I have this idea about doing this book about people that have overcome huge obstacles. And he goes, I think they all have. I was so I was hanging on by a thread. And he said, I think they all have this gene. They all have this common gene. And I want to find what that gene is. And I was like, okay, you lost me there. I'm no longer interested in reading your book. Um, but he was like, like, you have the gene, like, I'm sure you have it. He's like, with everything that you overcame, I was like, I didn't overcome anything. It was six months of treatment. I just didn't want to live back at home and stop going to school. And he's like, no, Charlie, it's bigger than that. You know, like there were things that you overcame and a lot of sickness that you went through and you still went to school and still had a rigorous, you know, course courses that you were taking and you still did everything you needed to do. Um, he's like, so you have this too. And so I still wasn't convinced. And I said, look, if you change this whole concept and you don't make it medical, like, can I go with you when you meet these people? Because if you're telling me I have something and I don't see it, I want to meet, I want to see what these people have and see what you come up with to see if I, you know, to know what it is that I have and I possess. And that turned into another plane flight for another event that we had and him basically saying to me, why don't we do this project together? And I wasn't, I'm like, I'm not an author. Like I don't write books. Like that's your thing. <laughs> and we did it. I mean, we ended up doing it. It was a huge passion project for me. And, but we did it more based on the core qualities that people have. I thought that that was more relatable. Um, and I said, I don't want to be like a diet book where like if somebody picks it up and they don't follow these instructions or do certain rules like with these self-help books then they feel like com a complete failure afterwards I want it to be something where you know they're learning and they can pick you know the their own it's not one it's not a cookie cut cutter you know path to overcoming it's something where you learn about people's stories and you can relate certain aspects to their story and and put it into your life because I can't relate to a professional skier, you know, who did A B C D E. I'm not a professional skier, and I can't relate to somebody who maybe went through sexual abuse and was a drug addict. Like I can't relate to them. That's not my life. But there are certain things when we dove into their story, I was like, oh, but I can relate to that, mm -hmm. or I can relate to the family support they had around them, or I could relate to their feelings, like how they felt when they hit rock bottom. So there was ways I could relate to all of these people and then actually realize, yeah, we do have some core qualities that are similar. Mm, man. Um, I want to ask something that came up when I was thinking about like the that you had, right. To go into the basement and be, you know, back home and, or go back to school. Do you ever wonder sort of what the trajectory of your recovery or just life would have been like if you did sort of withdraw from school and go and heal? Do you think things would have turned out differently? 
I don't know if they would have turned out differently. I do think that my experience of going through it would have been different. Um, and what I mean by that is I think that if I would have stopped going to school, if I would have removed myself from my core friend group that I was in college with, because I still did have friends in Jersey that were super supportive every time I would go home and have to do treatment and I would go see them and hang out with them the night before I had treatment. So I had a support group of people that cared about me there. But I feel like if I had been home without school, I would have had more time to feel sick. And I think that I would have had, I maybe would have lived in my illness more than I did when I was in, when I stayed in school. Um, and I think too, that I was forced to really learn like how to take care of myself well beyond just the day to day, like taking care of yourself, like your parents say, make sure you're taking care of yourself. You know, now it was a matter of like really listening to my body and really like saying, I can't go here. I can't do this. And luckily I had friends that would stay home with me. Like if there was some big party or there was something that everybody was going to, and I just didn't feel well, they wouldn't go. And I just had a really good support group in school. Um, but I really dove into and focused on my academics at the time and like really focused on going to see my teachers and talking to them. And they were all very supportive and they knew what I was going through. But I focused a lot on school. And I think without that, I may, you know, it would have been a totally different experience mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's how I view. Mm -hmm. And then again, I think that maybe too, mm -hmm. of, of wondered like what if I had just done it or maybe I could have done it you know like maybe I could have stayed in school and so it was good not to I don't have to live with any of that now I will say hearing this even though you were in your 20s you know early 20s hearing how you moved then feels like such a good snapshot of who you are like at your core yes post cancer and as an adult as a mom as a you know president all of these things define you too but it really does feel like the real essence of who you are the core of who, who you are we can go back to those early 20s and say oh that charlie like that's who she's a go-getter she doesn't take sort of no for an answer right when she knows something's true for her um she sees she sees things through right like you were deter you were doing more than the average college student does about that right. life when we're 20 19. leticia not to cut you off but yeah. like one of the too, that I, and I even wrote about it in the book was that at the time when I was going through it, my mom made a statement and said, well, it was after I was done, said, if this was your brother in the same situation, and he'll, he'll admit this too, if it was him going through the same situation, he would have went back home. And so I know you asked earlier in the podcast, like, what is, you know, what is one of the things you would have done or what is some of the things, and I was making a joke that it was a long list of things that I would do better, that I've done better or could do better. But I've always held on to the fact that like, yeah, in that situation, it would have been totally different. He would have handled it completely different. He would not have went back to school. Um, he would have waited. He would have been at home with my parents and um, he would have went through his treatment and he's very strong. So he would have gotten through it. But he said numerous times, he's like, I would have never done what you did. That would not have been my choice. And I, I would have done things very differently. So, um, yeah, I, I learned a lot about myself. But I also learned in that moment, too, that like there are certain things that all of us think we could never do. Right. Like 
Derek in that moment would have never been able, like he thinks I would have never handled it that way. And it would have completely crushed me. And I, you know, like I just would have been, you know, in a state of complete, you know, chaos if that happened to me. And I had to say to him after going through the process of writing this book and meeting these people, no, Derek, actually you would have gotten through it and you would have been fine and you could have handled it the exact same way. And you have it, like you have it within you and you have all the qualities that would have allowed you to come out on the other end, you know, an even stronger person, but you would have definitely gotten through it. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I would say that like that whole spirit of like a champion and like you guys are not too far apart right there. You know, he has gotten public acclaim and oh my God, the list is on and on for it. But I think your champion, like your spirit of a champion is, is like identical because that's what I think it would take to over at such a young age in those circumstances, like you have to have that inner, that spirit about you. And so I think you two share it. It just came out in different ways, which in is different ways. And I, and I think too, that's where, um, I know it, because Derek Wright wrote the foreword of the book and, um, excuse me, I talked to him a lot about the book as I was doing it. And, you know, one of the things that he said was that he really envied people that had overcome like real life obstacles, right? So like you have these athletes and entertainers who are the best at what they do, right? And there's ways in which they help and there's things that they do that are part of a greater good, right? And, all those things. But he's like, you know, I'm going out there every day in my sport and I'm working to be the best baseball player every single day. And also he works a lot at being the best person he can be, which is what I love about him. But he, he was saying like, but when a real life, like these are real life situations that people are Mm -hmm. faced with and they're overcoming it and they're, you know, getting through it and working so hard and actually, um, faced with real life obstacles. And we're all, everybody in the world is going to be faced with real life obstacles. There's only one shortstop for the New York Yankees at a time. There's only one, you know, uh, lead role of that movie, you know, that Denzel Washington is the lead role. And there's only one Denzel and there's only one person in that position at a time. And, you know, for us, this was a way, um, this book was a way for us to say, this is something that every single person in the world, no matter who you are, is going to be faced with overcoming something Mm -hmm. in life and Mm -hmm. that we all can get through it. And, um, and even Derek is going to be faced with real life obstacles and things that he has to, he has to overcome. Mm -hmm. Well, I know what the next book is that I'm getting someone facing a really tough time. Um, a huge obstacle that lands in their life. This is the stuff is what I'm gifting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to end on this question around, you know, the core competency, you know, the core competencies, I think is what you said, or components, core components. There's 11 of them in in this book that you guys broke down. What are the 11 traits or the thread that you saw amongst everyone that you talked to? Could you, and it's maybe difficult, but Pick one that um, feels timely right now to share that you think it'd be really helpful for our listeners. Well, I would just say like, the well, there's probably two. So the first one I would say is we start the book out talking about choosing to hope. And mm-hmm. everybody is faced with different obstacles and it's okay to be at that rock bottom place where you're just like, I can't do this. Like, I'm not <laughs> like, I, this has got me, it's put me on my butt and I, there's like, 
I don't know if I can overcome this. And that's okay as long as you don't sit in that for too long. Mm -hmm. And just making a point to say like, I can do this and choosing hope and saying that I actually can do this. I am going to fight through this and I can get through this um, is, is the first element um, of the stuff that we talk about, which I think is the first step. Like you have to say like, okay, now I'm choosing to get through this and it's okay for a second to be in a funk and to let it kind of, you know, hit you over the head. But then you, there has to be that first step, which is like, I choose to hope I choose to get through this and I can get through this. And I think the other one is just based on our conversation that makes sense is like developing your team and getting those people around you that are going to be your support system. And um, whether that's your family, whether that's friends, whether that's your church group, or whether, you know, that's even your coworkers, um, but some people that you are going to have as part of your team that are going to help, help you through the process, be there for you, hold you accountable, um, and, you know, just be there through the ups and downs and, and just continue pushing you through, especially because throughout the process of getting through any obstacle you're going to have, you're going to keep go up and then you're going to fall back down. It's not just a straight shot up. Like there's going to be a lot of ups and downs and just making sure you have a team of people that are there to pick you up when you're at your low moments. So good. Charlie. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your nuggets of wisdom. I'm going to put the link to get her book, the stuff in the show notes, and of course, where you can follow her on social media. She she pops on there every now and then so you can follow her journey, all that she's doing with Jeter Ventures and with the nonprofit Turn 2. And to you, my audience, bless you. Thank you. Keep up the reviews. I'm reading them. They give me life. And like always, come on social media and talk to me. Post the episodes, tag me in it. Let's talk. And if you want to do this, if you want to have your own podcast and you want to interview amazing guests that you hear right here on Audacity, let's chat about how I can help you, okay? I'll put my calendar link in the show notes and I will talk to y'all next week.